Here's the situation, folks. Um, I have a little bit of something stuck in my throat, so bear with me here. But we are coming to you live from back in the studio. That's why the sound quality is not so zoomy. We're back to normal here. Um, today, we have lots of fun stuff to talk about. Today, we're taking a little bit of an iconic detour. I'm not going to say who, although you probably already read it in the title, so you probably already know. But Kate didn't want me to spoil it, which didn't really make any sense. But anyway, we're going to get to it later. Because this is the Parking Lot Podcast with your friends, Kate Latimer, Maggie Prince, Elise Bailey, and myself, Ellie Chinetta, here to bring a little levity to your day and hopefully shine a light on some fun <laughs> afternoon joy. Please keep that part in. Oh, that's going in. Okay. Uh, how was everyone's week? Elliot, do you want to start? You want me to start? Yeah. Wow, it's so weird. I never started before. I know. Um, my week has been really good. Um, I went to go see Thor Love and Thunder um, last week, and I will have my- Directed by Taika Waititi? Yes. Uh, I will have my full parking lot style comic book review, hopefully in the next little while, um, as well as Doctor Strange. But it's a fun movie. It's not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's, you know, it's great. Just a Just a- good fun romantic comedy with Thor. There's a good moment where Thor rides uh Stormbreaker like the Wicked Witch of the West, which was very funny. Um what is Stormbreaker? Stormbreaker is his big um axe god weapon which he uses to summon the Bifrost. Who are the two members in the rom-com? The two members of the rom-com. There's also there's many people who fall into the rom-com category. There is Thor and Jane Foster, who is his girlfriend from Oh, there's an a female character. Natalie Portman. Oh right. yep. Um there's I'm just going off of what you've already told yeah, me. Yeah, and then there's also a romantic comedy between Thor, Mjolnir, and Stormbreaker, and there's a little bit of a, a and, love triangle. And those are his two hammers. Those are his his previous ex new. weapon and his new current weapon. And there's a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of fire, a little that's bit of That's the that's the relationship that intrigues me. Yeah. That love triangle. It's worth it for yeah. that. And there's a bunch of screaming goats that just go, ah every ten seconds. So if you can put up with that, you'll enjoy the movie. But that has led me to go on a kind of Guns N' Roses spree where I've been listening to almost nothing but Guns N' Roses. Is that in the soundtrack? It's just Guns N' Roses in the soundtrack. Truly, they exclusively. Play, they play four Guns N' Roses song in the movie, and it's incredible. It's great. And it's it's one thing to wake up every morning, and like when I start to walk to work, Welcome to the Jungle is just blaring in my ears, where it just mm -hmm. makes me feel like I'm riding off into battle, which is just ascending the Bathurst Hill. But um, the real that jungle. is a really serious hill. So that, I would recommend people go out and watch that. Um, Elise and I went to oh, friend of the podcast actually Callum Shanaska's birthday picnic. Was mm -hmm. it on Sunday? Yeah, last Sunday, and got to see some people that we from high school and got to catch up. And it led to a bunch of very odd and interesting conversations where. Now, I don't know if it's me who's the problem. Where I'm I start not sure to, it is. I'm sure it is too. But I start to think in my podcasty brain where I try to pick apart people's everyday lives and trying to find the funny parts within it. And we were talking to um, this guy named Ryan. I don't know if you listen, Ryan. I'm sorry if you do. Uh, hello. <laughs> but he is the general manager at Glory Hole Donuts. And it led into this whole kind of conversation that probably went on way longer than he had any desire for it to go. 
Because he started to talk about, we started to talk about just the minutia of like what the politics behind working at a donut shop. He's like, never think that the savory donuts are going to work and all that kind of stuff. And then it just kind of exploded from there. They try and sell savory donuts. Yeah, they sell. It's very controversial. It's disgusting. They sell one with. um, It's like a pizza donut. Like a pizza donut, one with cheese or chives on it or stuff. And then I said, well. What if we went so hard in the other direction that we did strictly savory donuts, but still on the very much sweet donut base? You're a monster. I think he entertained it for about 30 seconds, what I was talking about, and then just got kind of upset that we were talking about it. (laughs) Because I started being like, what about the, we're introducing the new chicken tikka masala donut and the the, um, the lentil doll donut (laughs) and the chicken tetrazzini donut and my mother's homemade lasagna donut. (laughs) The Boston cream braised beef. (laughs) The Boston clam chowder donut bowl donut. And then some people tried to be like practical. They're like, what if it was a bread bowl? And Elliot's like, no, no, no. It's still a donut. No, that's we're not fucking joking here. It is a donut bowl filled with clam chowder. And then other, I don't like that. And then you could see other people trying to peer in and listen and try to join the conversation <laughs> until it got to a point where we had finished talking about donuts when other people started being like, what are you guys talking about? And I was just like, well, actually. And then we'd launch the whole thing again and Ryan got pretty upset. It was so funny. So wait, were you in a group where like conversation was hard and you guys were having like the best conversation of the bunch and everyone else just kept trying to join your conversation? Like everybody was having like side conversations. We were just having yeah. the by far loudest conversation. Right. <laughs> it's just, I don't think a, for people that don't necessarily, uh, don't talk to me on a regular day <laughs> basis, and all of a sudden I'm taking a conversation to a very <laughs> strange direction where I'd be talking to people, how often do you have to like look into the window of other competing donut shops to see what kind of sprinkles they're using in order to, you know, figure out what, what's in the trend of sprinkles right now? Are they, they're in Parkdale, right? Glory Hole? Yeah. Yes. And they're number one in Toronto. I think Apparently I'm, the number one donut. I tried once to go and they were sold out and that's my only experience with Glory Hole. Well, I'd love to have Ryan on the podcast because he has a lot, he's worked there for a few years. He has a lot mm-hmm. to say. But Can it was I just, just say really inappropriate name for a donut shop? <laughs> that was a part of the conversation. Go to church. That was. And then he started like naming off a bunch of other donut shops, which all just had other inappropriate sounding names. Like one, he was saying the Bummers Donuts or something. <laughs> it's not called Bummers. <laughs> That's what I heard. It's called Bunners. <laughs> but it was just so funny because we'd like stop talking about that for a bit. And then Elliot was like, Okay, but there what was a, about there was like there was like a maybe a five minutes of silence, and I'm just sitting there. I'd be like, there was about, five minutes of silence. What about Craig's cookies? Do they have any sort of impact on your business? What about the cookie market versus the donut market? Because I feel like I'd be more inclined to go and get cookies more than go and get donuts. Was Ryan up for this deep dive? No, he his... did not like it, mm. but he did it. He did it, but he's just like, why are you putting me through this? Yeah, like I hate you, and he I said that you. out loud. Yeah. It's like, I fucking hate you. I was like, well, what was your favorite flavor that you came up with? Um, Definitely the chicken tikka masala. Chicken tetrazzini donut. Yeah, that's what funny. What is chicken tetrazzini? It's like, it's like um, cooked 
chopped chicken in a mushroom kind of gravy with chunks yeah. of mushroom. Yeah. Oh, no, no. My favorite was I came up with a Thanksgiving donut where uh, you put like a cranberry glaze over the top, mm-hmm. some shredded turkey, and then it's it's filled with like uh, gravy a gravy. In, in the inside. Yeah, like a gravy. But it's also... I'm really uh, team Ryan for this conversation. A, it's a potato batter for the yeah. donut so that the... I thought the batter had to be sweet. It's still sweet. Yeah, it still it's just tastes just like a donut. It's potato? just sweet mashed potato. Yeah. Well, you know a classic combination is you do your sweet potato and you put marshmallow on top no, of no, it. No, no, no. That's like American. Not sweet no. potatoes. No, no, no. None I'm of that orange shit. I'm just repeating back what you're saying to me. <laughs> no, it's chunky style white <laughs> like mashed potato. Like a hash potato. brown. Yeah, but it still tastes sweet like a donut. Yes. You just put sugar in it. Yeah. Anyway. Happy birthday, Callum. Yeah, happy birthday, Callum. Thank you for having us. I'm sorry if we made your parents leave because we're talking about savory donuts for too long. I know you have more to say about your weekend, but I just have a side note that I'm going to forget to say. So I read in the newsletter, which will be out by the time you guys read this, that you went to a Thai food restaurant despite your like lack of interest in Thai food. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. And I just want you to talk about your relationship with Thai food. Because um, you also then came to my house on Friday and we also ordered Thai food. Mm-hmm. And last time I was at your parents' house, your mom made Thai food. <laughs> it's not that I don't I don't like Thai food. I just, it's never occurs to me to go out of my way to go get it. I think that's because it's like the Maggie problem where it's not in your parents' rotation. So no, therefore it's, it's not. not in your rotation. Yeah. And then you don't have your own like way to navigate it. Well, I do. It's through you. You being like, I want... Pingai Wai or whatever it is that you you order <laughs> that crazy chicken cow soy and patsui um, and patsui. Sorry, excuse me. Um, <laughs> so you don't have your own identity, is what you're saying? I do. It just doesn't also contain Thai food. Mm. But the Thai diner, very good. Had a great time. Very good restaurant. I Sometimes it's I forget that you've like been to China, and it does blow my mind that that's like a trip you went on. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. You went to China for a long ass time. In China, very questionable food. There's a lot of food that was really good, a lot that was really not good at all. <laughs> so, and then there would be a couple of times where we'd be in China and the first night we were in Beijing, me and my dad wandered out of the hotel and it was just smog and you couldn't see the other side of the road. We're like, this is fucked up. And then we were just walking and walking until we'd like, you know, parting the smoke and like we found a restaurant and we sit down. We're the only white people in the restaurant and the, all the, we're like, oh, thank God, a menu that has all pictures so we could see exactly what everything is. Because it's a different alphabet. It's a whole different thing. You don't know how much anything costs. I don't know anything. <laughs> just like, let's just hope for the best. Do you make steamed rice? Yeah. Um, no. Biggest white people. Um, but then we sat down and they were having this special on bullfrog soup and my dad's like we gotta try that and i was up for it with like real bullfrogs it had the legs sticking out of the bowl you were <laughs> up for that first night in you're china, china. We're like let's see how fucking sick we can get the first night i we can't here. tell if you're an adventurous eater or super not. dead like but the waiter came to the table did not speak english and my dad pointed at the bullfrog soup my he looked at my dad in the eyes and just said no <laughs> my dad's like well we want to try he's like not for you no <laughs> Uh, we're like well, we're, we gave all he's like no you no we came not order this <laughs> we gave all this way we're here for the bullfrog soup and the guy was just like 
No. That's so <laughs> no, funny. No. And you Westerners you also, will not be able to deal with you this. You also don't tip there. Mm-hmm. And my dad left a little bit of tip. The guy chased us down the street to give him back his money. It was just. I like his style. The waiter. Yeah. No, you can't have that. And no, you can't tip me. Yeah. Um, the other part of my week that I wanted to talk about, I watched another two episodes of, I think we've mentioned this show on the podcast, The Offer. I have two episodes left. And well, you took over where I'm at. I'm still on episode We're on seven. episode nine is the next episode that we're on. And this show is the first show in a very long time that just has every episode. I'm just like, this is the best. I love every second. There's no boring parts of this show that I'm watching. I love, it makes me want to make movies so badly. And, and it's the weirdest thing. Cause it seems just like everything that could have possibly gone wrong while they're making the Godfather definitely went wrong and then went even worse. Yeah. And it just makes me like, I want to be in the thick oh. of everything that they're doing I was right already, now. I would have killed myself. Yeah. <laughs> jumped into oncoming traffic i could not handle that yeah i'm sitting there watching that show with at least my parents and i'm laughing my head off just at anything <laughs> that the mobs oh. like it's just talking talks like that he's Even so before, good before he starts talking my dad starts laughing there's a scene where he's just uh, al is sitting eating dinner with the two of them and his wife's like bringing out all these italian thing all this italian food and all this kind of stuff it's just so good um and anytime um i don't remember the actor's name but the guy who plays um marlon brando Mm -hmm. anytime marlon brando's alex kreb from Grey's anatomy like i don't know if you've got to the part where they're filming the scene when he's sitting there with the cat no he's just sitting there with the cat and he's touching the cat they're like did we or is there a cat prop in the scene it's like no it's just like well is that his cat no it's one of those alley cats (laughs) he just picked it up it's just he's just like talking to the cat and like playing with it all this kind of stuff they're like do you think that's true yeah totally that's crazy and then they go to start shooting the scene and like should we tell him to get rid of the cat? She's like, do you want to tell him to get rid of the cat? No, I don't. And then the sound guy comes in. He's like, we have a bit of a problem. He's like, what's wrong? He puts the headphones on. All you just hear is... Like the purring from the, the cat. Pur- the purring from the cat. I'm sorry. What is your impression yeah, of purring? I was like, no one's going to know, know what that is. <laughs> to Elliot, who's never held a cat. <laughs> they sound like a race car, don't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was not purring. <laughs> Elliot's never had a pet. Can anybody tell? <laughs> I've had fish. That's purring. You have had fish, the noisiest ones. That show really makes me want to make movies and act and do cool stuff because I really, 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 really like it. And I would 100% They make it look it. hard, but they also kind of make it look easy. Yeah, they make it look like so many of those problems. I'm like, production's shut down. Like, production's done. That's, we're done for the day. Also, We've just the day. Yeah. Be- the the quick problem solving that I'll have to be like the problem with the wall. They're like, we have to, the city wants us to actually build a wall. We were going to build it a styrofoam, but now they won't let us. It's like, okay, build four feet of wall, build the rest of styrofoam, paint this thing. If the city comes, I'll fucking deal with it. And like kind of like all this stuff and this go boom, 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 yeah. boom, 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 boom. He doesn't take no for an answer. There's so like, many- get in bed with mobsters. All right. I'll There's do what so I have to. There's so many problems that he's just like, 
uh he's like i'll i'll do with that and i'm like how are you gonna remember to do that you don't even have a smartphone take a note get a, pe- yeah, get a write notebook it, write it down yeah. i do think juno temple's doing most of the work that's so real though where you're the production manager and you're doing like as much if not more work than the producer and not getting the credit for it and the producer's taking like a lot of long lunches and the production manager is like dealing with everything like, is she even the production manager or is she still considered his assistant she said considered his assistant. Yeah, it's crazy. She is the production manager. I definitely recommend everybody watch that show. But um, that's about the end of my week. Elise, how was your week? Uh, my week was really good. I am COVID free. I'm negative. Did you test negative? I tested negative. I'm out of the woods now. Thank you, everybody, for sticking through that with me. Yes. Isn't it an out of the woods song? And I thought of it and then I couldn't remember any of the words. <laughs> into the woods. Into the woods. Um, yeah. Elliot and I, though, still took this time to spend some quality time together. And we've been watching and just finished Temptation Island season three. We haven't w- watched the reunion. Yeah. But, you know, to go from couples therapy to Temptation Island, just two really different ways to handle relationship conflict. Mm -hmm. I won't let you guys... Couples on the brink dealing it with their own way. And I won't tell you which one we've decided we'll be going with, but we'll see. (laughs) It's obviously Temptation Island. Obviously, we're going to go to Temptation Island, you guys. I think we would kill it there. I've known you long enough to know you (laughs) choose Temptation Island. You're not going to tempt me. We loved it. Um, But also some big news came out today. And I tried to talk to you guys about this earlier, but I just, I don't know if you guys really grasp the fact that the James Webb Space Telescope dropped their picks today. I don't think I knew what the James Webb Telescope is. Well, let's just say that... People sobbed. People's jaws dropped so far that they nearly broke. The James Hubble, sorry, the James Hubble, the James Webb Space Telescope reveals 25 years and 10 billion NASA dollars spent on an observatory. And it's been capturing like a side by side area uh, that the Hubble telescope captured. And it took the Hubble telescope like days, hours to get this capture. And this one got it in 12 hours. And it's like, it's beautiful. It's pristine. We're seeing galaxies. We're seeing star formations. We're seeing like galaxy and nebula clouds in such high definition. It looks like a movie. How it's much money did they spend on it? $10 billion over 25 years. So with those numbers and who pays for that? I don't know. NASA. I don't know who pays for that. But I think NASA's publicly funded, isn't it? It's a government organization. So it's by taxpayers? So... I would like you to go to small town Ontario and be, guys, I'm so happy. I'm so actually, I'm ecstatic to tell you this. Um, After 12 hours and $12 billion over 25 years, we finally got this picture and you helped pay for it. And then I would love to see the, the, the reaction to small town well, Ontario. Small town Ontario did not pay no, no, for no. it. Small town America. Small town America. Sorry. Small yes. Small town Ontario was would be like, yeah, clap your ass cheeks for that. We're um, talking Ithaca, New York is where he wants to head And you know to. what I'm going to say to them? I'm going to say, do you see this, this nebula ring right there? What's That's a nebula? That's your new home, baby. Because we're going to have to fucking That's vacate not, this planet. It's not their soon. new home. It's not our new home. 
It is not your kid's new home. It is not their kid's new home. It is not their kid's 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 new home. It is their kid's 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 home. No, Elon Musk and his closest friends. Yeah, Elon Musk and his... Did you hear that Elon Musk also just had twins with a woman who's like on the board at Tesla and that was like one month before he had a second baby with Grimes? That's me. I'm the lady on the board of Tesla. Oh, wow. Congrats on your new twins. I've just been busy. Wow. I just... I get... I get a little bit itchy when I, oh, it's a beautiful picture and I get it. I got, there's like, there's all these great creatures out there and they're doing stuff. But twelve. how much money did they spend? Are you talking about aliens? Yeah, I'm sure there's aliens in there. You talking about aliens? Um, Why wouldn't they put a little bit of that money into like saving to earth? Other than be like. Corruption. Is that why? Or just because like if we save the earth, we can't get cool fucking photos like this. Um, yeah, I, I, and I totally agree. I think there's a lot of egregious spending when it comes to like, when you really think about how much money we spend on like building military weapons and outfitting police and sure, there's a larger issue. Yeah. There's a lot of like, you know, how much money we spend on the lottery as <laughs> American lottery is insane. You could literally solve all of these issues over and over again. Um, but saving the planet is in the interest of nobody. Unfortunately, there's no profit in saving the planet. Um, it's just, it's right. not, you know, there's profit in fracking and there's profit in oil, but people don't really feel like there's just, there's so many reasons why we don't spend real money on actually saving the planet and it sucks and it's horrible. Right. And I wish that we could like be in a place in society where we do solve these problems and we really do care about them. So we can really be excited about space exploration. I really wish that the only problem society faced was space exploration. Yeah, it is crazy. We're spending that much money on space ex- exploration in our current time. I, I, because I, yeah, there's just there are a lot of other things. And I do think uh, companies are going to reach a precipice where it it costs them more not to invest. Yeah. And I think I was reading Naomi Klein and I think she thinks we're like five years from businesses having to invest in their own like like greenhouse admissions because it's going to become more expensive for them not to than for them yeah. to do it. Like it's it's within uh, it's it's in our lifetime that we're going to start to see that happen i hope so i just hope that those actions and initiatives happen to also be reversible but like the change that people will be doing will actually be able to fix some of the problems we're having i don't i think we're past the point of return yeah there's like that big clock in new york that's just counting down to when like climate change is absolutely irreversible and it's like seven years from now where it's like we actually can't fix any of the problems that are happening but we can look at space, which is pretty cool. But it gives me hope. <laughs> you know, when I look at this, when I look at this Carina Nebula, I'm like, what's going on out there? But it, part of it goes into, which is a little bit understandable, where it's just like putting all this money in for you for that exact reason. For a bunch of people to be like, wow, cool. Oh, my God. There's stuff out there. Wow. Like people to like forget about yeah. the fucking mortgage on their house for about 15 <laughs> minutes. And then they just yeah. be like, wow, this I'm just fucking how much is a mortgage up there? Am I right? You know, <laughs> well, stuff you're like investing that. in science, which I understand, like human growth and development is how we like define ourselves as a species. But it just seems like. I wish it was a time for that, but I don't know if it is. Yeah. It's, but NASA has their funding. What are they going to do? Not explore? Yeah. Not take cool pictures? Yeah. Hey, what's the rent on that nebula? <laughs> nebula. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you guys know, my dream is to just never You want to live in the sky. 
I never, I, I never want to spend a day not exploring space. Earth bores you. It does. Um, and this is, to me, I just see all those clusters of stars. Like this photo, Kate, that I'm about to show you, those three clusters are all galaxies similar to the Milky Way. So if they're similar to the Milky Way in terms of like that is planetary like construction, yeah. what the fuck is going on in there? Like, That's crazy. In the formation of humans, if it took us in the scale of the lifetime of Earth, so whatever, four, almost five billion years, if it took us 10% longer mm-hmm. to evolve, we would actually be dead. We would not have been able to adapt to climate and all of those things happening at that time. Like the way that humans, if it took us 10% longer to evolve, we'd all be dead. Like we would not have been able to survive. Okay. It, we would not have been able to climatize to evolve into human beings. That's crazy. And I, don't even, I don't mean like the primitive human. Like I don't mean like 500,000 years ago. I mean like 2 billion years ago. If it took us 10% longer to even get to that form, we would not have acclimatized to be able to evolve into humans today. 10%, a grain of sand in this, like just insane. So when you magnify that and you think about what else, how many other random combinations of time and space are happening in these other galaxies to form life, what is that? What's happening out there? It is crazy. It is, uh, there's so much to be explored. And it just makes you think like, I don't give a fuck about a mortgage. I'm just, I'm the exact opposite as you. Yeah, me too. I'm like, all I care about is, well, I, owning a house is not in my future, but, uh, you know, human problems are my, my issue and space like is, uh, not just, part of my everyday. It makes like human problems seem so. Uh, like I just, just don't understand how you have this perspective. That's so out of your, like your life is human problems. How do you like step out of that so easily? It almost just makes me feel like the things that go wrong or the things that don't the things that are bad for me almost like don't matter as much in the grand scheme of yeah. things because i am, do you use space as a coping mechanism for I your do day use space as a coping <laughs> mechanism and when i i wrote about everything everywhere all all at once in the newsletter but i that movie kind of grapples with it too that like when you really take a step back like we are so insignificant and all we can do is just find meaning within this small planet everybody who you've ever known about has been on earth that's it our entire understanding of life is confined to earth we don't you can't name one person who's not from earth that's it that's all we know (laughs) i know everybody's probably tired of my space rants but this is just so reaffirming when i woke up today and i saw these photos and i was like that's insane there's so much more ahead of us hundreds of thousands of years there's so much more ahead of us lastly uh elliot and i started watching a show called blackbird on apple tv you heard of it no with tarragon egbert taryn edgerton tarragon egbert it's actually really good it's like it kind of gives me like if apple tried to make uh true detective it's like giving me that kind of vibe it's about it's like loosely based on a true story about this footballer uh, an american football player uh who goes to prison in the 90s and a football player yeah, he's like an ex-football player. Yeah, like in college. That's he's, still playing football. He's like a he's a drug dealer. 
he deals drugs and he has tr- weapons. He and he gets the truth. He's a drug dealer. His dad's a cop. He's wicked smart. And he's fucking sent to fucking prison. Um, and and then anyways, the FBI tries to use him to like bait this like serial killer into like confessing some more details about mm-hmm. his crimes. And that's there's only two episodes out, so that's where we're at. Um, but I really really like it. Do you recommend? I do recommend. Uh, if you like that kind of like, it's like Mayor of East Town meets True Detective. Those are two of my favorite shows. Uh, I really like it. It's called Blackbird. And then Elliot and I were in Hyde Park for that party. And there was a guy alone on his bike. And he was just standing at the like entrance to the park. And he was like, Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Just singing to himself. And I was like, whoa, are you that watching that mean. show? That was mean. You were that Filipino man on the bike? Kate, how was your week? My week has been so-so. Yeah. So I had two weeks of full COVID isolation alone in my apartment. Uh And then my roommates came back for approximately three days before I then moved out to house it Mm -hmm. for my parents. So I'm now alone again with two cats. And uh, it's... I found out when you guys like showed up to record... We're at my office currently to record. But within the first 10 minutes of like interacting with you guys, I was like, oh yeah, I've forgotten how to do this. I just like... I, I like don't know how to be around other people. I just know how to be around cats, which is, I think my future, uh, I just like found my future cat lady, uh, cat lady, <laughs> um, alone in her house. So I'm having a good time, but I'm also, it's like, it's pretty, it's, it's weird. It's a rough time. And I was saying to you guys before that I need like three days to adjust to any kind of change. Mm hmm. And in those three days, I'm feeling like depressed and anxious. And that's, I just think across the board, like when I travel, when I go anywhere, it's just like three days to adjust. And what percentage of the way are you through this solo house sitting? Uh, It's two weeks and I'm four days in. So you just went over the hump. Today was the first day where I was like, I'm, I feel normal. I feel okay. Okay. Well then you've got, you know, the back end of two weeks to have a good time. You seemed pretty normal on Sunday. She was with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunday, and also I was not talking to people on Sunday. I was like, Sunday was a beach day, uh, which for anyone who listens to this podcast knows that that's like how I intend to spend my summer is like at the beach every weekend. Um, So we, Elise came, uh, Elliot was invited and didn't come Mm because he's scared of the beach. Uh, And then it was Danielle, Maggie, Sarah, Elise and then and then at the very end of the group was like me alone by myself on a blanket with my books and like napping and so everyone else was like chatting talking having a good time and I was like not interacting with the group just alone and then I would just keep going from the water to the sand but I had such a good time on the island we um we like formed a group watching everyone on the Mm, beach there was like people watching there's one very specific father who just decided he was going, who had brought his son and like several other friends um, to the beach. And he was solo dadding it up in a very big way. He was mm-hmm. like preparing lunch, preparing snacks, sunscreen, handing out vitamins from like a pill bottle oh while the God. sons were in the water. That he was, was so in funny. a full bucket hat, Tevas shirt on shorts on. He decided for like two minutes he would go swimming at which point he put on, goggles mm-hmm. sunscreen and like took his son out to the to like the edge of the water and, and they swam together uh so i just like i couldn't my my focus was on this man uh, sarah and i had biked down to the island and so we saw him 
biking with like a trail of children behind him on the bike path. And so we passed him on the way there, got on the same ferry as him, sat next to him on the beach. And then we biked, we got on the same ferry home as him and then biked with him home again. We were just, it was like meant to be. Uh, someone saw a wedding ring on him, so I didn't uh, make oh, my move. He's a hundred percent. That man was sacked with the kids and uh, realized that his wife does a lot. She does no, a lot. No, no, no. It's a whole different narrative. Is what I think is we have a widower situation. Mm. Keen, keen father, but looking for a new wife, which unfortunately could have been me. But I, I chickened out. I don't think he's a widower. We never asked, though, so we'll never know next time next time um there was also like a lot of beach drama with like rescuers uh there was like an old like very large man who was out on the rocks by himself and i guess like beach rescue had to go and get him there was lifeguards with megaphones like yelling at him mistaken for another rock (laughs) and and i don't know what the situation was but he sort of like waddled back from the rocks to the rescue boat that had like pulled up on shore so that they could really have it out in front of everyone else so then we were in the water and i sort of like made my way closer to the guy to try and see what the ruckus was about because they were in the middle of like a like a fight on the beach it was just so much good like beach entertainment i i was i was so thoroughly entertained the entire time and it just made me want to like be on this beach forever and i just i like the like the beach houses it makes me feel like i'm in cape cod um i like the restaurant Sunday is the vibe. It's not too busy. No one's playing music except for us, which we didn't play too loudly. No, we played at a very respectable. Yeah. Um, I've been rewatching the newsroom for, I think, literally the eighth time. It's an Aaron Sorkin show, and I think it's my favorite show of, of all times. So whenever I'm sad, that's what I watch, and it makes me happy. Um, and I highly recommend. It's about a bunch of, like, liberal elite news people who come together to, like, start to like start a new show where they decide they're going to like tell the real news. There's no like, it, it's not like entertainment. There's no like no, it feels gossip. Fr- it feels it's, familiar to you. No, it's like, it's hard news as opposed to gossip news. It's like, right. they're not being driven by ratings. It's this like ideological call to arms where they like reframe what proper uh, journalism is. And it's like very much like a battle cry for, for this like call for intellectualism and not being like not bowing down to um, ratings and the like low and co- lowest common denominator. So it's not like a uh, show for the crowds, but yeah. I love it so I much. Nominate you for the pitch for the show. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, have you seen Newsroom? No, and I'm not going to now. Why? But um, <laughs> do you think is Aaron Sorkin your favorite TV writer? Yeah, The West Wing is also the best. So that was my week. Before we get to our main topic here, I just have a few follow-up questions about the beach because I, I, was, I wasn't there. Um, did anybody look like they were going to break into a Top Gun-style football or volleyball scene? No. Were there any no. sexy shirtless men running back and because forth? Because the previous time I'd been to the island, very much yes. Like it was a, It was like a fraternity boys volleyball tournament that they weren't there when I went for a nap. And when I woke up, they were literally on top of me. Like a volleyball was soaring over my head. No one was wearing a shirt. Everyone was glistening. Oh, I think I must've been gone by this point. You, this is the time, time before. Oh, sorry. 
I was distracted by my reading, chickadee yeah. magazine. Yeah, this was a different vibe. <laughs> uh, and it was very, it was like a social club of like 40 bros sort of just like, like flexing their muscles as they were throwing a ball around. Okay. Uh, but that was not the case on no, Sunday. Too bad. Um, you could have started. I'm sure there were other that dad would have probably played with you. Next time. Very stressed. It was next very time. much like uh, there's there a, a tall reedy band. <laughs> there was like a group of people behind us, like four people that were, they were just there to be friends and they'd like go stand in the water for a bit like us with their drinks and like chat. And then they'd go back to their spot and chat and dry off. They, they seemed a little in insecure water. because they did seem to time their water visits to our water visits. Yeah. They, they were like, oh, we should, we're allowed to go in. We were very much leading the charge. And also because like some of us would get up and go stand in the water and some of us wouldn't. I think people were like, whoa, these, these people. These people are on their own path. They're also we can do confident. Whatever we want. <laughs> and then we we're all like, do we all want to eat sandwiches right now? And Maggie Prince made a really good beach sandwich, which she did not make on the beach. She made before. She pre pre made. She pre made, but it was really. There good. was olive tapenade. It was really good. It was like a there cold was cut. cider. There was revel cider. We all brought snacks. It's guacamole and fruit that no one ate. Because speaking of um, volleyball, and I think we were talking about organized sports when we were at your your house for dinner. And since then, um, when I run, there's a little track not too far from our apartment, and there's tennis courts, and I watch these couples play tennis and every time I walk around, they all look like they're having such a great time where there's people like throwing Frisbees and stuff. And it makes me feel like I have this, this urge to join some sort of, or like be a part of some sort of socially organized sport, mm -hmm. but that involves people coming, showing up, doing the sport, you have a beer and then you go and then you return either the next week or whenever it takes place next, preferably an outdoor one yeah, like tennis or I wouldn't be good at basketball, but like of that kind of style. How many people do you think are showing up to like a tennis group? Yeah. I'm like, I would assume really it's doubles. Two? Yeah. Four. Oh, that's, that's, that's as much as you need. Well, that's for that sport. Okay. If it was baseball or softball, that would be a significantly bigger group. Right. Um, Following so you want to join a, a a club? Yeah, maybe. Um, Can I join it if you join it? Sure, I'll look into it. I think it's no, already say sure so passively. It's already sure. midway through summer, so I think it's kind of. Why are you saying sure? Like you don't want me to join? Sure. It's not that I don't want you to join. Would you be embarrassed to say I'm your friend in front of other sports people? No. <laughs> depends how, sports depends people. how you play. This idiot. I I barely know her. Um. The last thing about the beach I wanted to ask about is how do you feel about swimming in Lake Ontario? How do you think I feel about it? Because the way I feel about it is taking a bath in a bath that 700 people have already been in. And pissed in. And pissed and shit in. <laughs> I, I peed multiple times in the lake. Yeah. And it's a pretty big lake. Yeah, but it's it's like a lake right off of a city. And I shower when I get home. I'm not like sitting in it. Yeah, but that that doesn't do anything for me who is then later going into the lake. The fact that you shower after is good for for you specifically, but then it's still it's still a dirty lake in my mind. You just you don't ever want to touch it. I just don't have any desire to swim in that lake. I you like swimming in the Hudson. It's not because they do water tests and they make sure that it's not too polluted for you to swim. And it's also it's so hot. Yeah. It's so refreshing to go swimming. It's like my favorite thing. 
Yeah, it's really cold at first, but once you warm up to it, it's really nice. Yeah. Mm. So is every lake. Well, I recommend you join us next time. We did mention that there is an iconic detour part of this episode. Um, and I think we should get into it now and tell us about your iconic detour, Kate. Michael Moore is an American documentary film director who's directed, produced, and starred in the documentaries Roger and Me, Bowling for Columbine, and Fahrenheit 9-11, to name a few. Fahrenheit 9-11, Moore's scathing riff on the administration of George W. Bush, um, was released in 2004 and made $119 million, becoming the highest grossing documentary of all time. Wikipedia calls him a left-wing activist. Uh, In 2005, Time named Moore one of the world's 100 most influential people. He now has a Substack, a film festival in Traverse City, and two art house movie palaces called the State Theater and Bijou by the Bay. Uh, in a Variety article published in 2018, they write, The fabled documentary Muckraker keeps doing films with his trademark fusion of snark and liberal warning. Maybe it's time for him to mix it up. But then they go on to say, Michael Moore, for good or for ill, has become instrumental in defining the national dialogue. Uh, We're going to talk it out today and figure out whether this man is a PKL official icon. Let's talk it out. Let's fucking, (laughs) let's get into it and let's hash it out. At least gets up immediately. So Michael Moore, Kate, as a documentary student, as a lover of documentary, as a documentary filmmaker, what impact has Michael Moore had on your professional, personal, and emotional career? Thank you so much for asking. So, I mean, Michael Moore is not like a hero of mine, but I do think he is like a a common, a place like common ground where we can all meet to talk about documentary. Cause I feel like he is like well-known enough that everyone can, mm-hmm. has an opinion on Michael Moore. Um, and I, I like, a lot of my questions for you guys are like, do you think he's a good person? And like, do you think he's an ethical filmmaker? Because for me, I don't think that he is like, he's so opinionated and, um, and the way he like manipulates the public is so, um, like not in my moral wheelhouse and is just like against everything I stand for, but he is like politically like also, I agree with him politically a lot of the time but the way that he tells his stories is just like very emotionally manipulative and like unfair to a lot of the like American population, which he is documenting. So for me, he's like Roger and me, I think is an amazing documentary. And I think they do. He, the framework of, cause it's about Roger and me for anyone who doesn't know is about this, um, general motors plant in Flint, Michigan closing down and like 300, 3000 people's jobs, um, were lost overnight. And, and the like concept of the film is that he is going to try and find Roger, um, Roger Smith, who is the like CEO of General Motors to try and like the conversation with him and he can't get a meeting. And so along the way, it's his interviews with all of these people in Flint, Michigan instead. And for me, that concept is like so um, smart and interesting in the way he filmed it. He was I think it was his first documentary. So he hadn't like developed quite the ego that he has now. So for me, that was like fundamental. Um, but everything else from there has just been sort of like, it's interesting to see him work, but it's also hard to watch his 
his style evolve because he's a main character in all of his yeah, it's films. It's yeah. like participatory documentary making. And for me, that's like against everything I stand for. Um, well, participatory though is like a like a recognized form of documentary where like you as the maker are part of the documentary. Like right. your your presence <laughs> is what makes this documentary its own. Well, you're what the you're what the audience follows, right? Yeah, but like you're what the audience follows, but not in narration. Like you are physically leading the story because yeah. you're part of it. Like, well, Roger and me, that makes sense. Like it's his hometown, and the concept is he is trying to get an interview with this guy, Roger. Yeah, but in a lot of them, it's just following him with like some kind of thesis that he's trying to prove about like gun control or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching him do interviews with people. But what do you, what do you guys think of Michael Moore as like a starting point? When you think of him, what do you think about? Um, I watched Bowling for Columbine, I think mm-hmm. in school. And I don't remember a ton about it. I remember being, I remember being a very interesting documentary. Um, but he kind of reminds me of, What's the super size me guy? Oh, I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but like he's getting kind of shoot it in the same style where you're still following them and they're no, kind like of they're, they're like it. holding your hand while you go through whatever the the subject matter is. But I agree with what you're saying. I feel like for Michael Moore, it's very much similar to like not necessarily in the same kind of tone, but the same way where like if you watch a Spike Lee movie, you're very much seeing Spike Lee's perspective on whatever he's talking about. And then same thing for like Michael Moore's documentaries. It's coming in with his biases, I find, mm-hmm. a little bit. And I think what was the most recent one he did? The Trump one, I think was his mm-hmm. most recent Fahrenheit movie. Fahrenheit 11.9. 11.9, yeah. And that was kind of this, I remember seeing the trailer for that. I haven't watched it, but it's kind of just him going in full force of very much his you know, left wing opinion on everything that was going on. And, um, but I don't, he's someone that I just, I know his name and I can, he's definitely iconic in the world of documentary. But then at the same time, I feel like if I asked 10 people, five and five would have a very different opinion on whether or not they like him or whether or not they think he's kind of full of himself or kind of like kind of a figure who is, changed due to his success yeah mm. but you already think he's iconic yeah so i don't really of, have any work here to do in terms of documentary filmmakers yeah he would be one of the only ones i'd be able to name well i think he's like a documentary maker that comes with such a persona that's recognizable yeah, yeah. like you when you think of a michael moore documentary you think of him first you think right. of like him wearing that hat and that big oversized mm-hmm. jacket and jeans and the new balances he does pass our halloween test he's very you dressed he up does as him pass our halloween he's test. very visually distinct yes looks like him. a republican same they like, look like anyone. Like <laughs> Ken Burns, right? Whenever I think yeah. of the Ken Burns thing, I think of I think of him sitting in his thing talking about the Civil War or whatever, like the way with yeah. his little with his little mm-hmm. bangs, mm-hmm. right? Um, they kind of have a similar thing. I want to talk about his he he's like very um, manipulative with his editing. And there's a scene in Bowling for Columbine where he goes into a bank because he's read um a ad in the newspaper where you can open a bank account and they'll give you a free gun. Mm-hmm. And so he goes into the bank and he's like, and they're like, which account would you like to open? And he's like, the one where you get a gun. And then 
The issue for me is that the jokes are never like at the expense of like the institution. They're at the expense of, the of like person. the individual. The person, yeah. yeah. And like when he's making his like ethical points about what's wrong with society, like the way that he decides that he's going to like tell that story is just by saying like how stupid Americans are. And I really think that's like a low dig. But ultimately, it's also such an entertaining scene because he walks into a bank and they're like, yes, we are a bank and also like a uh, uh, like arms dealer. Mm -hmm. We are like licensed to deal uh, to give you a background check and then deal you a fully like a loaded weapon and he can walk out of the bank with this weapon. And it's like an iconic scene that I just think like really sums up what's good and bad about him in general, which is like, it's great storytelling. Yeah. Like when he goes pretty great scene, he goes to the Walmart, right. With the kid who had like a bullet lodged in him from Columbine. And he's like, this is like these bullets could have been purchased here was it yeah. that they actually were or it was just like any target or something like that it was a kmart i kmart think, um i don't know if they were actually like purchased there yeah but they changed their policies based yeah on, but he goes and like bullies several yeah. employees to kind of get Some, to like, the person minimum wage employees yeah and i i agree America. i think it's manipulative but at the same time i do think it's equally impactful because i think it's like it's entertaining it's entertaining, yeah. but also it's like these are the people at the end of the day who are as much as they're the end of the line, but they're the end of the line. Yeah. Like it's not these, you know, faceless corporate entities that are selling you this bullet at the end of the day. It's yeah. this person who works at the Kmart and bringing up the cash who's scanning this through you. Like they're yeah. the first interaction with the public and not that they deserve that backlash, but I think that that's what really resonates with people is they're like, I know Jane who works at Kmart. Yeah. Like, I don't know Mr. Howard who is some mm-hmm. higher up at Kmart. I know this woman. Yeah. And I see like, and now you're actually putting context to something that I otherwise thought I wasn't a part of. Yeah. Or there was a scene in, um, uh, I think it was still bowling for Columbine where he's talking to Marilyn Manson and because the concept of bowling for Columbine is a movie is like the shooters of Columbine were supposedly bowling that morning and everyone was looking for blame for what caused this violence and people were blaming Marilyn Manson. Like they were listening to his music and, and they like conceit of the music of the movie is like, couldn't you just, blame bowling because they were also doing that this morning like mm-hmm. you don't know what causes violence um but in his interview with marilyn manson um he asked a question about it was about like the day of the shooting there were america bombed kosovo and they like dropped more bombs that day than they had for the rest of the war with kosovo and it was such a question that that didn't like Marilyn Manson was obviously not like qualified to speak to, Mm. but like uh, Michael Moore had his own thesis that he's just trying to like drop on other people, like, like a cross examiner putting the answer in the question that you want. And it was, it's just, that's another example of like, it just seems like unfair questioning where Marilyn Manson was like, yeah, how ironic, blah, blah, who knows what violence is where it's just like, it's such an, a manipulative interview tactic Mm. to ask a question that's so out of their scope of reference to like further your own opinions. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's really, um, not that he's claiming to be a journalist, but it feels like bad journalism. Yeah, absolutely. But again, entertaining because you have this soundbite of the two of them agreeing, uh, about like how, um, hypocritical 
America is in general mm-hmm. and their their like opinions on violence. I guess like so, yeah. I feel like there'll never be a truly unbiased documentary and if there was it would be so boring. Yeah. Like just to document things as they really happened or watch things unfold with no intervening whether that's by editing or by leading questions or by leading the story. Like, I just feel like the act of documentary making, although you're documenting real life will never be unbiased. And I think what Michael Moore does, it has, it's definitely it's moral dilemmas. Yeah. But I do think that he's solidified himself in being uh, iconic just by, by having these conversations in public. Right. And I think that like, that's a documentary that almost like everybody, not even just Bowling for Columbine, but also Fahrenheit 9-1-1, where it's like, or 9-11, where you're like, oh yeah, like I learned something from that that I would not yeah. have otherwise gotten that gives me perspective on this situation. I just feel like he has a hero complex and Absolutely. he thinks that his answers are the, or his movies are the answers to America's yeah. and problems. And his, his way of seeing this is the only way of seeing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you there, but I think... So it's not that docs have to be without bias. It's just like, I don't trust his ethics in in any kind of way. But I also don't think his documentaries would be as strong if he didn't do that. I think if he was fair, they would not resonate as much as they do. They'd have less shock. They have less shock, but also sometimes people unknowingly want you to tell them what to think. They don't want to walk away from this and come to their own conclusions. They want you to tell them scene by scene what they should be thinking and taking Mm -hmm. away from this. And he does an excellent job at that. It might not necessarily always be the right thing or the fair thing, but I think he does that in a way where people walk away feeling validated, feeling informed and feeling righteous. And therefore he feels like that. And then, and I think the, he's like inciting a fire. Yeah. He's inciting a fire, but I do agree with you that like the righteousness carries over to next the next documentary the next documentary and they make them less interesting yeah because i feel like the more he feels like a right fighter and like you know that i'm he's almost like the alex jones of documentary making but except not as alex jones the guy who like uh he started info wars he's like that crate who's like they're making the frogs gay and he thinks Mm. that like sandy hook was uh an inside job just like dark shit like that like mm-hmm. obviously he's not as bad as that but i just mean that like the more documentaries he makes that solidify and validate him and being this like hero like you're saying mm-hmm. and this like all-knowing being it makes it actually less enjoyable to watch them like i didn't right. really enjoy fahrenheit 11 9 but i never watched that one actually I, I had a hard time watching it but i like fahrenheit 9 11 is one of my favorite documentaries and it just was like one of those things where i was like wow there's so much happening in front of our very eyes that we do not know about yeah totally and i'm not even from america <laughs> i do think he has three big ones that are almost perfect like they're yeah. incredible um do you think it's like bordering on propaganda that was one of my questions yes but to me propaganda also comes with a call to action like i to me propaganda right. is like you're saying like Boo these other people join the army and right. kill them right or like don't support do you them think he doesn't have a call to action at the end i feel like his call to action is like revolt on your government oh that's true i can't remember no i should probably rewatch them i can't remember necessarily how they all end i know that there's like neither can i <laughs> but um i don't think they're propaganda maybe in the literal sense but i i don't think that they're not without like an inkling of that of like anti-government anti-establishment yeah 
I feel like it's just, it's so unbalanced, his perspective. And it's mm. so, um, yeah, like emotionally manipulative. And everything he shows is towards like a single perspective mm-hmm. that it, it's just like, yeah, it's without balance. It To me, it does seem like propaganda. And that's why, like, though I like agree with him politically sometimes, I also think like you shouldn't be it just seems really like a gray area to be making documentaries that are so, um, I don't know, like it, it just seems so judgmental and so one-sided mm. and so without any kind of like acceptance, it's just like you're either part of this like liberal socialist group or you're an idiot. Yeah. And I'm going to document that. And there's no room for gray area there. Yeah. He definitely makes people look stupid. And as soon as you're in that black and white territory with like, and I think it's like the politically, it feels, it feels like he's placing like moral, a moral high ground on being a liberal. Like that's also where I feel like propaganda comes into play. Mm. They're like, you're a better person for being liberal and you're an idiot for being a Republican. Mm. Mm. So it feels like propaganda to me. Yeah. Well, there's always like a a a, f- a feeling of radicalness to all of his. Yeah. When you watch him, like just his actions, where mm-hmm. I just remember the one scene from Bowling for Columbine when he goes across the border to Canada and just goes and tries Opens, to open people's yeah. doors and yes. walks into their house. They're like, uh, with the camera crew. Yeah. And they're like, what's going on? And they're like, why don't you lock your door? I'm like, well, we don't need to, or like, you know, whatever. It's just like, there, there is a little bit of like, for effect, it, it works really well, but there's still just like a very, like, like you were saying, aggressive nature to a handful of the situations that he creates by himself physically, by yeah, just like yeah. the way that he, A, in tone and just being just in terms of just like stature. And just, I think that Michael Moore walked. So Jake and Logan Paul could run. You think so? I think he was the original vlogger. What are Jake and Logan Paul doing right now? Right now they're boxing. Well, they're no. boxing. Good for them. Um, Logan Paul just got signed with um, WWE. No way. Wrestler. He's a wrestler oh, no, now. Oh, wrestling. Sorry, my bad. But I just mean that like... Do he, you think Michael Moore is a, a wrestler? A secret wrestler? No. Is that I think Michael okay, Moore, though, so. was the original like vlogger. Like, just here's my opinion. Here's my perspective. I'm going to go around and document what I think is the case. I'm going to do these things for shock value. I'm going to show it to you. And if you don't agree with me, if you don't like and subscribe, you're a fucking loser. You're an idiot and you're the problem with the world. That's really true. Is he the is he the most famous or most well-known documentarian currently? mm, I don't know. Probably. Probably up there. When I was Googling today, I like just famous documentary filmmakers. I think he comes up in top tens a lot. Who does he compete with currently right now? Who would you say if there was like a top five-ish? Who else were on the list of like mainstream? Yeah, like he's on it. Um, Brett Morgan, who does all the like biopics. He did the, I think he did Amy. And he's doing, and he did one on Jane Goodall. Amy. Did he not? No. Who did Amy? Uh, this other guy whose name I cannot pronounce. Um, who else? Joshua Oppenheimer, who did The Act of Killing. Um, Amy was directed by uh, Asif Kapadia. Oh, I don't know that name. 
Hmm. Michael Moore, Errol Morris. Oh, Errol Steve Morris James, is a big one. Joshua Oppenheimer, Frederick Weissman, Kevin McDonald, not of the kids in the hall. Like Frederick, Frederick Weissman and um, Errol Morris are like old timers though. Yeah. They're not current. Do you know a lot of those people? No. I'm sure I would know a lot of their work. I just wouldn't know them individually from it. Do you think Michael Moore is a good guy? That's a question I had. No. But I think to all those other people that we listed off in the names of most hey. famous documentary makers, could you could you show me a picture of them? Could you draw them from memory? Probably Listen, not. What makes a good guy? Let's define a good guy. Maybe this isn't this isn't a, about Michael Moore. This is about a good guy. This is about name a more iconic good guy. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think he can be a good guy for the type of documentaries that he makes. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is that like I think to make <clears throat> his documentaries in the way that he chooses to make them, I don't think you can be like. I don't want to say he's a bad guy necessarily, but I think he's maybe skeezier than. But he's on the side of good, in my opinion. Yeah, he's like he's fighting right the good fight, and. He also is like a lover of film in that he's he like early on set up funds for filmmakers. He's got he owns like two theaters. He started a film festival like he's he's like invested in the craft in a way where he's like paying it forward. Right. Does that does that make you a good guy? But this, that I think that kind of goes the same kind of question with um, Tarantino, where if you really listen to Tarantino talk or yeah. any of his arguments or his kind of problems with certain things he's done a huge he's like one of the biggest advocate for film and he has a theater and he does all those same kind yeah. of things but then down to like morally yeah are you yourself personally a good person i don't think anybody is always a good person no. yeah. but at the same time it's just people who are also just you know you have a camera on you all the time and people are gonna yeah. pick apart no matter what you talk about i think i think when your, especially for a documentarian, I feel like your opinion, it can be used by other people to enforce their opinions. Yeah. You can kind of get a little bit of the air underneath your wings in terms of carrying you into yeah. your well, little bit of a more of an egotistical also, place. Also, like documentaries are traditionally a form of education. That's how we learn about the world. That's how we learn about other yeah. things. So being an instrumental person now, enigmatic and a persona attached to history mm -hmm. that's like an ego inflation itself and also to want to be that person because i think traditionally in documentary you you aren't as participatory as michael morris yeah so to really kind of take that genre and really spearhead it into the pop culture mm -hmm. that you have to have a certain kind of person with, it's like being a pop star kind yeah. of but i do think every movie he does maybe aside from roger and me is just dividing the population along party lines in a way that's like, as we're seeing today, extremely detrimental. He's just like, he's just, he's like making no kind of nuanced argument and is just furthering the idea that we're a, not we're, that they are a divided country. And, but the part that like hurts me is that everything he's fighting for is like, gun control, free education, healthcare, mm -hmm. like, you know, some, he's critiquing the Bush administration and the war in Iraq. Like everything he actually stands for is like he's kind of a with. socialist, which yeah. is where I stand. And then I, I just think 
the way he's doing it is in a way that's like so divisive and incendiary that it's it's like creating harm while pushing a message mm. that I stand behind. And so it's like, do the means outweigh the, the what am I trying to say? What is the saying? The mean. means outweigh the cost? Whatever that saying is. I don't know. It just, it feels, if I feel very like um, torn about, like, I do think he's iconic, obviously, which is why I brought him up. But I just think he's um, like an evil filmmaker on the side of good, mm. which is complicated. Which is complicated. And I, I think if he was a good filmmaker on the f- side of good trying to be good i don't yeah. think he would have as much impact right we wouldn't be talking about him because he wouldn't no. be that entertaining yeah would he Which be iconic sucks. if he wasn't so emotionally manipulative yeah but i also don't think there's really such a thing as black and white goodness i don't but i also think there's room like if Mr. we look Rogers? at um <laughs> our ethical don't king even bring that up because the worst part about Mr. Rogers is that if you really did, like really, really, really went deep into his psyche and probably the things that motivate him to do what he does, there's probably some fuck shit there that you'd be like, mm, that's not oh, so I good. I watched that movie. He wasn't that happy with his wife. No, exactly. And I don't want to ruin movie? that. The, the documentary. documentary. No, was there was really like good. a... Oh, the Tom Hanks the movie? The Tom Hanks movie. I didn't watch that. I it's just watched the documentary. Oh, that Tom Hanks movie got me the documentary uh, that's the only time in my whole life where i watched something and i said if there was a religion based around this one person Mm -hmm. i would do it i get it i get it he's your vikram he's my vikram he's my sea org he's my scientology ron l hubbard Mm. jesus he's my jesus if somebody was like listen we're getting together we're gonna wear uh red button-ups cardigans you're gonna put slip-on shoes Just part of it just because you agree with the fashion already that it's of course i agree with the fashion but i just agree with his core values and his outlook on life and you also really like puppets i do like puppets and instead of it being a bible something that you read it's just a show something you watch you turn to your next icon mr rogers i mean maybe you turn to instead of turning to passages for direction you turn to episodes about certain topics uh, you would quote him and quote conversations he had with his disciples, like the tiger. You won't have any argument from me about Mr. Rogers. If I'm just saying, if somebody's out there trying to make a Mr. Rogers religion, I'm there. I get it. I will do whatever you need to do. Based on kindness and quietness. And space exploration. Do you think Mr. Rogers lived alone? No. I feel like I'm living a Mr. Rogers lifestyle currently. I hear definitely my cats. Not. I say hello to my friends. In You're the not morning. having a black man as a police officer come onto your show and put his feet in the pool with you. You're not doing that. I could. But you're not. <laughs> and Michael Moore could be a good guy in every aspect, but he's not. Okay, here's my comparison. Okay. If we look at Michael Moore as like the could be but isn't in terms of like finding some emotional balance. What am I trying to say? Basically, I'm trying to compare it to he is the temptation Island in the comparison of couples therapy and temptation Island. Right. Like he could do couples therapy, which is entertaining in its own way, but much less incendiary. Mm-hmm. And the but ultimately they're dealing with the same problem, which is couples who are unhappy. It's also just the audience is different, right? Yes. I feel like couples therapy has, but you guys are a this mutual size, audience, which is very small. Yeah. And then Temptation Island can be a huge audience because of, it is really down to its core. They are attacking similar <laughs> topics of addressing and attacking 
things that are wrong in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily successful in some ways <laughs> no. than others, but if you really look at it, it's that's kind of what it is. And, you know, there's an audience for either of them. And and I, but do you think it's more effective you. to like teach an audience a little bit more nuance, but reach a smaller audience or like go for the big bang with the, the, the largest grossing documentary to date. But I think even if you look at movies, I think, I think what history and I don't know, the current zeitgeist tells us is that a lot of people don't want to have to think when they go to see a movie and they want yeah. it to just be told to them and they want to be told how to feel. But do you think that's right is what I'm asking? I don't think it's right. But at the same time, I feel like it's for those people, if that gives you joy and it doesn't encourage you to inflict then harm onto other people, I think it's fine. As long mm. as you're not fucking with right. other people and you're not affecting the experience that other people have in their day-to-day lives... I think it's fine to be able to turn your off and have you spoon fed something if it's something that you're into. But then there's different people. There's people who want to go into something to be challenged when you sit down there and to be kind of like, oh, this could mean this or it could mean that. And it could be I'm going to derive my own meaning from whatever that I'm watching as opposed to being like, this is this is how it happened. This is the end. There's no questions about it. My issue with a lot of documentaries, though, is that your audience is like people who already agree to you with you, you're like preaching to the converted. And so it's just like an, like, I don't know if it's actually changing any minds in the way that he thinks Mm. it is purely entertainment. And if we accept it for what it is without any kind of like moral, more, no morals attached to it, then like maybe it's just good entertainment. I think by this point in in his career, you're right. But I think when you talk about earlier documentaries like, yeah, like Bowling me, for Columbine, yeah, there was like there was still not enough bias from the audience on Michael Moore to be like, I'm gonna watch this and maybe I'll learn something and maybe I'll agree with it or maybe I won't. Yeah. Um. But I think now he's very much solidified what his message is and who his audience is, and therefore people that fall outside of that already know that they're not gonna want it. Right. I think he's less accessible now. Do you think that it was inevitable? Like there's no way around that? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a larger conversation, but I think anybody who really cultivates like a pure dedicated fan base or has like a very strong uh, like identity like that becomes less accessible. Yeah. Like if you think about like even Lady Gaga, like how much of like a stranglehold she has on her um, fan base with each album that comes out, I'm less inclined to give it a chance because I just know that it's not for me. Right. The more you put out, the more audiences get to know you and can already make a decision. Exactly. That's they, not even based on the work. Yeah, exactly. They don't even feel like they need to see the work or hear it to right. kind of know what it's going to be because you have such a strong uh, identity now. Yeah. And people know what they're in for when they hear about you or your work yeah but he's also kind of the one of the only people who can have uh a headlining documentary that comes out in almost every theater here yeah yeah absolutely and that to me though is something that's really valuable super valuable i think documentary more it's like just one of those genres that like if more people were open to watching documentaries we would be better we wouldn't have less problems but i think we would be better off I do think another thing about 
well, like some of the magic that's been lost is in those early movies, the people he's talking to are so um, like unaware of what documentary is or what it is mm-hmm. to be on camera. Like or you're, who he is. Or who he is, yes. Yeah. That you're getting this like very um, unvarnished look at like small town American life that just mm-hmm. like doesn't exist anymore. He's kind of like the like the uh, partner or alternate to Borat. Like now I when I watch that. the new I Borat, yes. I'm like, oh, how could these people not know who Borat is? Like, this must be so scripted. This yeah. is so dumb. There's yeah. no way. But like when you watch the original Borat, you're like, how would they know that this is fucking a Borat? It's L.E.G. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How would they know? I genuinely thought that. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I think he's a, I think he's an icon. I think he's a problematic icon. Who I love. He but passes also the Halloween test. I feel so. like our iconic system is inherently flawed <laughs> because I feel like nine out of 10 people we bring to these things, we're all going to be like, I know who that is. And I could dress up as them as Halloween. No, I've At often Halloween. disagreed with our icons on this podcast. You do. To be difficult or? No, because I genuinely don't think they're deserving of icon status. Okay, sure. To be difficult. I would never do anything just to be difficult. Well, my next, I think my next one, I will, I'll try to challenge that. I'll, mm. I'll try to get you somebody who's Mike Wazowski. You've done enough. And Dr. Phil. Mike Wazowski is, <laughs> I would think, more iconic Ellie, than Michael Moore. Oh my God. The other day, Ellie was trying to talk about this other monster from. It's the craziest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Ellie was talking about another monster from Monsters Inc. and he was trying to describe it. And he was like, you know, he has like the really little legs and the big body. I was like, Mike Wazowski, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? No, I that can't remember. The guy? He, they, we, no. I actually like found their, their name, but yeah. I, I can't remember. He like breathes fire at some point. Yeah. I, yeah the guy with he, a lot of legs. And he's trying to put this hate vision. He says like that when he gets interviewed in one of the. Yeah. The, the, when the sushi restaurant blows up. Laugh. You think Mike Wazowski is a bigger icon than Michael Moore? Absolutely. I bet you. If you walk down the street right now and you asked a hundred people, I bet you more people knew who Mike Wazowski was yeah. than Michael Moore. So is Moore. that our icon status? Just like who, which of the random population knows who they are? It's part of it. Yeah. I'm, this is the Mike test. Mike versus Mike and Mike Wazowski would win every... If you went to Union Station and just held up a picture of Michael Moore versus a picture of Mike Wazowski, a hundred percent would know, would at least be able to recognize who Mike Wazowski I was. I don't think we can put like icon status based on... On like face recognition, what has Mike Wazowski contributed to the world? What Laugh. does he stand for? Sorry, Happiness. go back and listen to the episode. If you have <laughs> I didn't some agree time. with you right. then, and I don't agree with you now. <laughs> Mike Wazowski has changed the course of humanity. When when historians look back at this time, starting from what two thousand and four to now, Mike Wazowski is saturated in the language of society. Can I just say that Michael Moore, it, like the, his early documentaries are the kind of things that I want to make without like the heavy thesis behind it. Sure. Like I don't want it. I don't want to like be forcing a point on anyone. I just want to interview um, interesting kooky people. What put is, it together. Um, what is your next uh, documentary project that you're working on? Oh, great question. And when can we see it? 
<laughs> do you have any dailies? Do you have any dailies? Are you in production, post production, I'm in editing pre, phase? I'm in pre production, development, or like pre production. I'm, I'm in the dev phase. Okay. Are, are those the meetings that I'm going to be on on the Zoom meetings? Yeah, my own personal doc. Okay, great. <laughs> That's what he's going to develop. He's like, about. I'm going to talk about the seagulls that live on Ward's Island <laughs> and how they are different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this podcast is interesting because we have different tastes. To me, like when you say that you want to just like record some people and just see their zany stories and make something out of it, that to me feels like a documentary without an objective. I'm anti-narrative though, and we've had this discussion before. It's true. I, and you guys don't understand how I can even think like that. But I'm not opposed to anti-narrative as long as it's delivered in an entertaining way. As long as it's like Seinfeld. Not Seinfeld, but with the one my favorite documentary I've ever seen in my entire life is what the is, is the John Baldessari documentary. That twelve that 10 minute, minute documentary. It's ten minutes, but there's no aim. There's no real thing. They're just like, hey, this is a guy, it's and a, it's yeah, and it's, it's put bio. together so well, and it's just cut so quickly, and it's just condensed. There's no fat on it, and it's just oh. it's perfect. Elliot That's one a, of my favorite things in the world too. Elliot's a biopic kind of guy. Elliot just wants a quick biography. Elliot loves the facts of life. Elliot loves like <laughs> here's a person who was nice and good, who made things people like, and this was their life. They had some hard times. They had some. Hard times but I they had do. some good times they had some really good times they had some loss they don't talk about john baldessari's hard times but they had some love i but that's just that falls into like the circle of documentaries that elliot likes mm -hmm. ellie wants to learn about something nice and good that happened mm -hmm. to a human being a music documentary about a rock band I would That's in a heartbeat. A hundred percent Elliot's jam, which I will argue has an objective though, which is to just inform you about this rock band. Yeah, and I usually enjoy it. You're not they're not trying to document like a time and place. They are just putting together some factual information for you and delivering it in a narrative. My favorite documentary is called Rat Film, and it's about it's a portrait of Baltimore told through these stories about rats. And it's just all these different like ways that rats are involved in the city. And it's like these different little portraits of people's like they follow a rat catcher or they like go to this like science center where they're like birthing new rats. And then it's it's told through like an AI voice is doing the narration. And it's so weird. And is there's it, no narrative. Is it at all like Ratatouille? <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you the trailer. You can decide for yourself. Or Rakakuni. What's Rakakuni? Is you that have to the watch Toronto version? You, you have to, to watch everything, you have to watch everywhere, everything all everywhere, at once. All okay. the time or whatever. Um, final vote? Uh, icon status for sure. I vote for icon. Yes, I do. I'm sure Maggie, Maggie would as well. please let us know what you vote. Yo, come fight me if you disagree. Yeah, for sure. Link up in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Link no up cap. in the parking lot. Tell me if you're not pro-socialism. But anti-Michael Moore, we can get into complicated conversations. And, and listeners out there, if you have an icon that you don't necessarily think that we will think is, is iconic, let us know. We'll argue you that you can't argue us back. But Chairman we'll, Mao. We'll just, you Maybe know. you should come on the podcast, dear listener, and yeah. argue with us. And also, Ryan Breton, if you're listening, also please come on and talk about donuts. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, let me know how the whole savory discussion is going on because I have more ideas. But, garlic bread donut yeah garlic the garlic bread donut the poutine donut um <laughs> but on that note uh michael moore if you're out there i i'm hope you're i hope you're happy about your iconic parking lot status um three out of three baby three out of three um until next time everybody thank you for stopping by